I met Young Guru back when I was writing about Jay-Z for the cover of Rolling Stone. He was always there, talking to Jay, very tall, very cool, holding it down to the studio. I don't think I ever interviewed him about Jay back then, because most of the time we interview recording artists, producers, maybe executives. We hardly ever talk to engineers. But what a mistake! Recording engineers tend to be really smart, they have a really interesting relationship with music, they know what's going on, they know where all the bodies are buried. Young Guru is known for being Jay-Z's engineer, but he's also just one of the best engineers in all of modern music. He's worked with Beyonce, Rihanna, Kanye. He's a brilliant guy who's really interesting to talk to, and he knows so much about music, technology, celebrities, people, everything. So this is a really unique discussion of music with someone who's a critical part of modern music and doesn't usually get the credit. We go in-depth about working with Jay-Z and others, about making music, everything. It's Young Guru on Toure Show. What do you love about music? Uh, I love the feeling of it, man. I, I love the emotion that you get to put across to people. Um, and I love that language that is that nonverbal. It doesn't necessarily have to be words. It's the communication um, of vibrations. And that's that's the thing. Music is just, it's that vibration, man. It's that feeling. It's, it's hearing something really good. Um, and that's, that's the thing I love about it. You remind me of something when you talk about vibrations. Karis one told me once about, you know, the songs are like confidence sandwiches. So you put them in your mouth and then you repeat them and you get the vibrations of the person who said them. And especially within hip hop, he was saying the confidence of the MC then goes into the person and people love that feeling that they're getting from repeating the super confident MC's words. Oh, absolutely. Like imagine that, that teenager um, growing up at that time, being able to say public enemy lines and, you know, everything that I do is, is auditory and it's, and it's about music, but I was never a rapper and I, I, don't, I can't put words together the way that a KRS can or that a Chuck D can or even a Kendrick Lamar or someone of that nature. So the cleverness of, of people putting together words and repeating that over and over and over again, or even if it's something that's just um, felt like it was your own language. If if I'm listening to Three Feet High and Rising when I was young and realizing that everybody else doesn't really understand what's being said there, you know, it feels like you have your own code words, and it, and it does bring it gives you a confidence. And it just so happened that during my early years and teen years, you know, the zeitgeist of what we were talking about was you know everybody walking around with African medallions on and. Um, you know, bigging up your own culture. So that that thing is, is very accurate. It gives you that space and it gives you that that confidence of saying exactly what the MC said. What is it that you notice that is common to not all, but many, many songs that become insanely popular? Are there are there commonalities that you can that you can that you can trick out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's, you know, certain things if we're talking about, it depends on what type of music we're talking about, number one. But if we're just talking about general pop music, there's a there's a formula that uh, has been discovered and says, okay, well, the majority of hit songs follow this chord progression, no matter what key you're in, <clears throat> excuse me, you're always going to go from one to the to the five to the six to the four. And, you know, that's just key progression. But what the, do you mean one to the five to the six to the four? When, what you have is you have progressions. Not only do you have chords and chord structures, but you have progressions. And there are seven different um, steps in between notes. If if, they, if you look at a piano, there's 12 different keys. And that's all it really is. And then once you get past this 12th key, you're in a different um, a different range. So it just starts at the C note and then there's 12 notes. And this is the way a normal piano goes. So over the years, we've studied music and we said, OK, well, these are the popular chord progressions that bring out this hit emotion in people. That's just a technical aspect of it. But the very, you know, the special thing that, like, say, someone like Herbie Hancock teaches to the world is to say, that's just your technique. That's the technical side of it. It's the thing about feeling. All great songs bring about some sort of feeling to people. And I don't care if that's making you angry, if that's making you sad. 
it's it's the feeling that those songs bring about that really resonate with people. And that's that's what those songs, the songs that are memorable, the songs that last, the songs that stay with you, um, they can hit you on a motor level. And, and when we teach, this is what we, the information that we teach our students. When I say motor level, I mean rhythmic. Um, the first thing that's going to grab you, obviously, in music is the beat. Whether or not that's drums, whether or not that's repetition, um, that's that's the motor part of it. But there's also a cognitive part. When you start adding those words on top, what that person is saying is is now the part that's drawing you in. Do I relate to that? Do I not relate to that? Did it make me angry? Did it make me sad? Did it make me want to get up and fight? Did it make me want to fall in love? Did it? You know, all of those things. That that's what is the commonality. Is that it draws some emotion out of you. Can you do that within hip hop? Is there a sonic formula that many of the hit songs uh, share? I mean, all all of them, all of the the, the really really big songs follow that formula. Um, but then us, we we also have this thing where we break that formula. Um, you know, we weren't concerned with what key the song was in when we were first making hip hop music. You know, it was a lot more sample driven and drum driven, whereas now melody is truly king you know we've always said that melody is king but it really is right now to the degree that um the melodic things are what's drawing people in but you can absolutely um you can't just bottle it up and say hey here's the hit formula because otherwise you could just you know like i said bottle that up give it to anybody and then anyone could do it but there are things that when you study music that are very common inside of hip-hop um and a lot of that has to do with that rhythmic part. It has to do with that repetition and, and, and always coming back and um, borrowing from our ancestors and studying the James Browns of the world that changed the way that we view music and made sure that the emphasis was on the one. And um, things of that nature are the, the parts that you study and sort of take for yourself and say, okay, these have worked in the past, so let me try to do this in my way. You see melody as king even in black music? Oh, absolutely! Melody is king. It's more it's, than more than rhythm. Yeah, why, absolutely. Why and how? Number one, the drums. The drums are the things that draw us in 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 black music. We love the drums. We love that rhythm. But it depends on what the melody is. And and I'll answer both of those questions. The reason why is because the melody is what leads the emotion. So if we're saying black music, we're, we're talking about all forms of music. We're talking about jazz. We're talking about R and B. We're talking about hip hop. We're talking about reggae. Um, that melody is the thing because the rhythm is the foundation. The rhythm is the the comfort bed, the thing that keeps repeating that we know that we can predict when that's coming back around and we get very familiar with that. And that's what draws us in. But the melody is the thing that takes us to different places. And that's the why, but the how is the way that you structure your samples, the way that you structure keyboard playing, the way that you structure even um, the delivery of whatever those words are is the melody, and that's that's the the key to drawing people in. Melody is king. Well, let's let's talk about it around ninety nine problems, mm-hmm. right? a record a record you worked on, a record that most people can hear in their heads at this point because it's been played a hundred million times since it was made. Right. And and I think about the drums and the harsh guitar, which maybe you'll say that's the melody, but to me that that functions as part of the rhythmic portion of the song so where where is is that is there a melody there that i'm not realizing yeah you're not realizing that the mc becomes the melody at that point and Uh, the the way that you structure those words the delivery of those words you could take those words write them out and just read them and it's not going to have the same effect as when you add the pattern of what jay-z is doing over those drums so again the the drum it's you know um we have that classic line, drums often lead black youth to the truth. And that, that line is, is there for a reason. It's telling you that the drums are, are, are what is our foundation. But in especially in rap music, the flow of the MC becomes the melody. And that's why I'm saying, again, today you see the MCs where it's changing to the point where we've incorporated sorts of singing or melodic rapping. And that's that, that was, you know, it, it's been changed. And when we first started, it was very just to the point, um, and we just looked at it as flow, but then when we get to a point of of a Nelly, of a Ja Rule, of a 50 Cent, people that are really putting a lot of melody into the songs, it doesn't matter. I just named three completely different styled artists, and uh, you could go to Bone Thugs, you could go to, you know, even someone like a Too Short. You could, it, it doesn't matter. Their flow becomes the melody. 
Now I'm not I'm not I'm not arguing with you. I'm just trying to understand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it's not. When I say melody, I don't want you to think that it just has to be someone playing something on a keyboard. I mean the flow of the song. Where where are we gaining? or uh or releasing because everything has to do with tension and release tension and release that's that's our way of defining who we are and that that doesn't matter what form of music we're in that that's the tradition for us of call and response i mean i see a lot of mcs functioning as as a counter rhythm so it becomes yet another line of rhythm within the song so I just felt that it was related more sort of to like an African drum circle where it's just l- lots of rhythms working in one, but you're defining the MC as a melodic element. So I'm saying that it's, a, it's adapted and morphed into that. So some of it is rhythm, uh, but a lot of it is melody. And it's the reason why we've sort of morphed to where we are now. Oh, it's become much more melodic. Oh, absolutely. In that, in the, in the last, what, 15, 20 years versus the first couple decades of hip-hop? Yeah, and that, that has to do with, with a lot of factors. The equipment that we use, um, you know, the amount of things that are now there for us to pull from in terms of experience. Now we have this huge history of hip-hop music, whereas before people were just, you know, uh, making it up as they go along. If I listen to, um, again, I'm a huge De La Soul fan. If you listen to early hip-hop, and again, this is pre-having uh, to clear all the samples, number one. That affected us greatly, but being able to just throw the whole kitchen sink in allows you to have a bunch of things that were just based off of rhythm. Um, but there's samples in there, and those samples are what's driving the melody. Even if you look at something um, as as sparse as uh, a Run DMC song, where there was basically just drums and like maybe scratching in or like early BDP stuff, that was the style of what was going on at the time. And as we grew, and as the tools got better, and as we actually um, learn different parts of music, our production expanded to the point where we started putting way more melody into the songs. And that's partly the reason why the music becomes broader in, in, in a an international sense too as well, because you, you get um, the thing that draws people in. So, you know, hip hop is now the leading force. And a lot of it has to do with the melody that we're doing. The rhythm is always important because it's hip hop. That's our, again, I keep saying that the foundation, that's the that's the bottom part of it. That's the root of the tree. But what do you put on top of that? What type of fruit is being grown out of that tree? And a lot of it has to do with the the way in which you style your words and the way in which you style the music. Define for the folks the concept of tension and release within music where you see that. But then also within hip hop and correct me if I'm wrong, please, but I feel like there's a lot less of that than in R&B or in rock and roll, which will have much more dynamic shapes with the songs. I feel like a lot of hip-hop songs, you get a beat, it doesn't really change. It might drop out, but it might not, and the MC just flows over it, and there's not the same highs and lows that you hear in a rock song or a lot of R&B songs. Right. Of course, in rock and roll, there's going to be a difference because there's, let's say the the classic thing is like, oh, we'll start off in one rhythm and then it's always like, here's the here's the verse and then here's the chorus and then back down to the verse and then here's the chorus and then back (laughs) to a bridge and then maybe, you know, like a different bridge or maybe like a B verse or something like that in a rock and roll song. Um, and the dynamic of what the person's doing. If you look at, you know, I don't know, anything from classic rock to, say, Nirvana is a great example of singing really quiet. And then we get to a point where we're screaming, and then we yeah. go back to, you know, those things. That's tension and release. Um, we also have that in hip-hop, but it's much more of a call and response sort of thing where we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So the tension and release goes inhale, exhale. It's the way life is. So you're you're inhaling when you're listening to a certain rhythm and then when the MC is allowed to dance around that rhythm, there's a release there. So it's not so much in the flow and writing of the song where there are examples of that. I could show you that all throughout hip hop, but it's not going to be the way an R&B song is or the way that a rock song is. Um, but there's always that tension and release because that's the the flow of life. You have to inhale and exhale. It's always this cycle. And that, for me, that's the loop. That is the thing that's looping or the drum pattern that's repeating 
or um, the chorus that's being repeated. We're always going to come back to this one thing. Um, or even in even in freestyle rap, you have to set up a pattern in order for it to be really good. It's it's almost like uh, if you imagine a basketball player, you know, and he's making a move on his opponent. He doesn't just do a whole bunch of and one moves all the way down the court. He sets up a rhythm and then he gets in front of the guy, does the really great, you know, and one move and then makes a move back to the basket. So it's like you you have to set up that pattern in order to break the pattern and the break of the pattern becomes the thing that becomes really interesting to us. So just where do you see or where do you hear tension release in 99 problems? Uh, I, first of all, in in the classic drums, number one. And then in the thing that Jay is talking about, we always are going to go back to, I got 99 problems, but up ain't one. And it's the story behind it of saying why he's saying that word. So if you notice in the whole song, the, the B word is never referring to a woman and it's explaining why it's never referring to a woman. And I think that's the clever part of it to dance around um, and to find new ways with words and to, to um, write scripts that are, that are explaining these movies. You know, if you listen to 99 problems, you, you're, you're absolutely there in the movie with him. You're, you're riding in the car with him. You, you see the dog, you see all of these things and it becomes a story of like, okay, now I can follow along. But I feel like the chorus and the verses in that song are of equal energy. Yeah, there's a difference. There's a difference between energy and you're, what you're describing is not what I'm talking about in terms of tension and release. You can have a very um, calm song that's high energy, and loudness doesn't have to necessarily be energy either. A lot of people make that mistake. A lot of my students make that mistake when I'm teaching music. Um, there can be a lot of energy without it being loud or without it being um, a fast tempo or, with, or you know, just depends on how you style the song. There, there are certain meter songs that aren't um, super loud, but there's a lot of energy in those songs. There's certain slow songs that have a lot of energy in them and they get you to this fever point and it's a ballad, but it's like so much about love that it's like, hey, this has, this has the energy of, you know, whatever, a fast paced song or something like that. Um, so to be specific, in 99 Problems, if you look at the breakdowns, if you look at the way that that song was constructed um, off of the, off of like sort of our original way of making records, of literally scratching a breakbeat down for four minutes and then going back and layering, you know, another classic sample on top of that and then layering the story of what Jay is saying. That's where the tension and the release comes from because it once we, we get, and we have drops right before the chorus, which always brings us back to that to that space of now we're partying and we can say the words with him. Mm, mm. Let's talk about working with Jay and a couple of other folks, gigantic folks you've worked with. I'm just curious what you have seen in their creative process that helped make them great and what you have seen in their attitude around work uh, and creativity that has helped make them great. And, you know, Jay's, you know, your guy for a long time. So let's just mm -hmm. start with him. I think what makes Jay great um, is that he absolutely knows who he is. And that's that's one of the major things. You know, not all artists know who they are. They're, some of them are trying to discover themselves or figure out who they are. Here you're dealing with a well-developed mind that knows exactly who he is and you get his truth at all times. I, I think that narrative isn't pushed enough that everything that he says is true in his word, in, in his world. It, it, it's his truth. So as you follow the development or naturation of a normal human being, um, you're getting to see his truth. So if you come out, and, and I know it sounds cliche when people say, oh, live your truth, but that's really what it is. So if there's a given time where, you know, I'm, I'm literally coming from the hustling world and I'm making this this classic album speaking on my transition, I'm going to make a song that is talking to the old hustlers that says, can't knock my hustle. It's, it's really talking about don't knock my hustle of getting into this music business or cleaning up my act or getting out of the streets. Um, if you get to a point where, yes, now I have, you know, this amount of money and it's, it's big pimping. That was his truth at the given time, all the way to, you know, writing songs about your children and, and where I am, you know, as a person on 444, that is his truth at the given time. I think that's the biggest thing is that he remains true to who he is. And if you talk about worth ethic, 
I mean, the, this guy just doesn't stop. We have the example of somebody who at his age is still at the top of his game and still, you know, being able to go on the court and perform, you know, for lack of a, a better word. That's that's really what it is. And that's that's one of the keys I see in most successful people is that regardless, they just don't stop. They figure out a way to look at whatever they're doing and say, okay, how do I how do I adapt this to, to where I am in my life? Hmm. He practices more before he actually hits the booth than anybody else. Um, I think that what you're what you're describing is is the fact that he's not writing something down on a piece of paper. And then sometimes for MCs, I tell them this all the time, the the flow the rhythm and what I mean in terms of that melody can get lost by looking and trying to read off of a piece of paper. So by constructing these um, these songs in his head, you never lose that flow or that rhythm. And I think that's one of the biggest things of and when you what you're calling practice is him actually writing or going through the writing process of where someone is writing on a piece of paper and scratching something out or erasing. He does that mentally. Um, so I think that's that's one of the biggest things. And then for for me, technically, he's always talking directly into the microphone. Whereas if you look at any, you know, online thing of someone reading lyrics off of a phone or, you know, a piece of paper or something like that, they're literally moving their mouth away from the microphone because they have the piece of paper off to the side. And it, it you know, it technically takes away from me. But for him, it's like he can he can talk directly and have that conversation into the microphone. That's interesting that because he's not looking away at a piece of paper, he can have a more intimate relationship with the mic and with the words and the rhythm, and thus we feel that direct connection. Absolutely, and and the fact that it's it's memorized, it's it's repeated um, in the writing process. So then that will allow you to understand how am I styling this record. Just the words themselves are are pretty much half of the battle. You can have great lyrics, but you your delivery could be off. So the delivery part is just as important as the content because it's it's about how to again music is about emotion. How do you get that emotion across? No matter who you are, singer, rapper, you know, music, everything is about emotion. What else technically like that? last piece you talked about his relationship his literal relationship to the microphone what else technically is he doing that separates him from others i just think lyrical dexterity um in terms of understanding pocket and understanding flow and understanding um what i call how to style a record <laughs> you know there's there are certain mcs that we have that they may not have sort of um the the most lyrical uh songs in the world but I'm, I'm thinking of someone like a Tupac, where it's like when he said it, we felt it. The way that he styled the record, that's what makes him amongst the greats of all times. And it's it's about the emotion that he's getting across. When we listen to Pac, we really feel what he is saying. Mm, mm. Is it true that Jay-Z's voice is a little higher than the average MC's? I don't know if I would call it higher. I would just say it's unique. Um, he, has a, he has a very unique voice and, and you know, there's that's it it's 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 mostly the voice as as the famous gangstar record says it is mostly the voice some people have that voice some people don't it's 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 the same thing as bob marley when you're listening to a bob marley record um and there are some whalers records where other people lead if you listen to the songs where peter tosh leads the song and then when bob marley comes in on the hook his voice just sticks out he has that thing that cuts through and i'm, I'm saying jay has the same sort of texture um, Bob Marley has a mid-range that just sits above everything. And as a mixer, from a technical aspect, it allows you to fill a lot of music around that voice easier because that mid-range just sticks out. And I think um, Jay is one of those people that have that. But most of our great MCs, they have that thing. They have a unique voice. Kendrick has a very unique voice. Too Short has a very unique voice. Scarface has a very unique voice. Um, you know, it doesn't. It, that's the thing about them that we love. We come to love that voice. I mean, big, big Kanye. I mean, there's a, there's got to be a unique sound for us to want to listen to you over and over and over. Keep Absolutely, Jim Kane. We could go on. I, 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 I feel like because he's so hard in what he's talking about, and he's so ill in the way he spits it, that you don't notice that his voice is kind of on the high side. Like if you, I feel like if you plotted the MCs on a chart, he would be above average in terms of how high his voice is. I think it's the calmness of it, and I think you hear the confidence in the calmness of the voice. 
whereas he's not um, overly screaming into the microphone. And, and and sometimes that's in a really good way. I, I, I personally want MOP to scream at me. I love that. Right. That, <laughs> that gets me hype. And I love but it's, it's in the 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 tone and the texture of who they are. Um, I love, you know, the variance in Busta Rhymes' voice and all the characters that he can play, you know, vocally um, that almost match some of those, like, really colorful videos. And, you know, hit me when I was saying, so what you're saying, yo, da, 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 it, it, we get who he is and he, he moves all around. Whereas, like, some people, like a Jay, it's very conversational and calm um, because that's who he is. So it just depends on on what you necessarily like, but I don't know if, it, if I would say that it's necessarily higher. I would just say that the register may be, you know, a little bit higher than other people's register, but it's, there's still a calmness in it. That, that is the reason why you're drawn to it. it mm-hmm. And that calmness gives you that confidence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was obviously taking nothing away from Jay. It's one of the greatest, maybe the greatest MC of all time that just, so just, just, just to quell anybody who might be having any stray thoughts behind that line of, questioning but you were also in the studio with biggie right yeah i was i was blessed enough that um when i was at howard university i ran across chucky thompson uh derek angeletti people of that nature um i was also with tracy lee who did a song with big i wasn't in the studio for that session but it would be something with me coming to bad boy with chucky or derek um and it was very rare it was only a couple of times but yeah actually you know you 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 watch sort of like a genius work um, and he wasn't the hang out in the studio all night person. I'm sure there's people that could give you way better Biggie stories than me. Um, but just the mere fact of, of actually having seen that done of him not writing something down um, and then just, just going in the booth and like just saying the, the, the illest thing. To me, the thing about Big was his usage of vowel sounds. And that, again, goes to melody and flow. Um, since it's on, I call my... Arizona Ron from Tucson pushed the black you can't like he's killing the on just that literal vowel sound and that's what made, he he was the guy that and he didn't rhyme in a very um hat cat mat bat sat rhyme pattern he would rhyme those inner vowel sounds and then he would start the next sentence with an of same vowel but then go to another flow or another pattern and if you study Big's music I think that's what makes him um, one of the greatest of all time was his usage of vowel sounds again along with the content along with the persona along with the flow all the other factors but I think if you want to channel one thing I think Big used vowel sounds the best out of any MC ever what about Kanye's creative process is helping him be so successful again that that thing that we just described earlier that he he's relentless and will not stop he is always going to expand. He's always going to figure out um, new ways to do it. He's extremely talented at what he does musically, uh, but just his his sheer drive. If, if if you want to be completely honest, you know we and I think people sometimes get this misconstrued. It wasn't like people were going, "Oh, Kanye's bad as an MC." It's like looking at your friend in a different light. Here's one of our top, if not the top, beat guys. He's one of the guys that's supplying Rockefeller Records with beats. Him. Bink, Just Blaze, these were our go-to guys. And if he's coming in and, and spitting a verse over top of it, you're kind of like, hey, like that's cool, but give me the beat and I need to finish this album for Jay, for Bleak, for Beans. But he was always rhyming from the time that I met him, even pre-Rockefeller, uh, when he was working with Derek, um, you know, Angeletti being managed by him from the Bad Boy camp and free from the So So Def camp. Anytime Kanye would send music, he would also have a song to it. So, you know, even from go-getters, he's been he's been destined to be that, but he had to push to to get to that point. So his um his bravado and not stopping and also wanting to change culture, I think that's what makes him so successful. I mean, he's very interesting in that sometimes I'm like he's not that good of a rapper in some ways. I think and he's then, gotten a lot better over the yes. years and learning how to write really good songs. Well, th- well, absolutely. He will say these incredible things, and I'm like, that's hysterical, that's smart, that's crazy, but I will listen to you say it over and over. And the the pen game sometimes props up what he might lack in the spit game, but he's definitely improved immensely over the last, uh, what, 10, 10 some years. Absolutely. Or or just that ability to, as a, when you have a producer, 
that understands that thing of, um, of, again, what I was saying, what you may be looking for in trying to compare him in terms of lyrical dexterity to, like, say, a most deaf or, you know, um, I don't know, like, you know, of, of course, Royce is on my mind because of this incredible freestyle that he just delivered the other mm. day. Um, but you also have to have the ability to know that la, 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 wait till I get my money, right? <laughs> How powerful that is. Because everybody, it, no matter where you are, is like, okay, yo, I got to get myself together. It is that motivational thing, that thing of knowing how to connect with people and the emotion is is what songwriting is about. So, you know, there, there's some, again, some people that we like for, again, the, the I call it lyrical miracle. You know, it's like these people are aliens in, in, the, in what they can just literally do with words. Um, but you also have to be careful in that in, you can get into what I call the ivory tower of jazz music very easily because we're respecting the technical aspect of how difficult it is to be a really good jazz player. I'm talking about the real jazz, not the, not the you know, light jazz. I'm talking about real jazz. How much you have to know. You have to really be good to stand on that stage and go toe-to-toe with the best jazz players. But a lot of times, jazz players are literally doing that. They're battling each other on stage, and it kind of takes away from the record sometimes. So you're like hey, don't be so far in your ivory tower that you don't understand the power of funk and you don't understand that power of the groove and making people move. It's almost the thing that I can equate it to is myself in studying turntablism and trying to be the best scratcher that I could be. I'm sitting at home and I'm practicing these different techniques that we have names for now like flares and orbits and a whole bunch of stuff that my club-going audience doesn't care about. So sometimes when the turntable is gets into a club situation and starts doing a lot of scratching, you'll find the audience will say, hey, man, just play the record because they don't really understand what you're doing. They don't speak that language. And you at that moment aren't speaking the right language to your audience. And that's that your audience is dumb, is that the audience came to hear a different language. That's not the place to do that. And that's what I'm saying in terms of song. Sometimes you have to say it's not the fact that my audience just doesn't understand how intricate these rhymes are. It's that you're overwrapping the song and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in terms of communicating a feeling. The feeling is primary. Mm. So, okay, Kanye, you talked about Big's use of vowel sounds. You talked about Jay's not writing and the benefits that come from that. So what is the more technical thing that you point to around Kanye like that? Hmm. I think number one is just that him being a producer and being one of the best um, gives him an advantage because he knows pockets, he knows flows, um, and he works very hard at perfecting the records. And that may be stripping some things back. That may be adding things. I think that's the technical aspect of what makes him so good is that he has that advantage of being the producer. He said it as a joke where he's like, uh, you know, I have a one up because I hear my beats first. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like a joke, but it, it, it almost is very serious where if you're the producer, you can make certain things or know what's going to be placed in and know how to present your voice to present the full song. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. 
And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So we'll get back to Young Guru in a second, but just want to talk about Policy Genius, longtime supporter of the show. Super appreciate that. They said, let them know September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. And it might sound silly, but life insurance is incredibly important. If something happens to you, white cop guns you down, white meth addict kills you, whatever, you're not here anymore, you can't take care of your family. You've been providing for your family all along. Somebody takes you out. You can't provide for them unless you have life insurance. 40% of people don't have life insurance probably because they think it's difficult to get or expensive or maybe they're just not thinking about taking care of their family after they're not here. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance online in just two minutes. You can compare quotes from all the top insurers and find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It's not hard. You can do it quickly. It's not expensive. And then you can go to sleep knowing, God forbid you don't wake up, your family's not going to suddenly become homeless. Because that would be horrifying if you were like looking down from heaven at your family and they're like homeless because you didn't provide for them and after you died. and That sounds mad. Look, if you're looking for a good reason to buy life insurance, it's National Awareness Month, prices are at a 20-year low. And Policy Genius makes it really easy to get the right policy for you. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, and apply in minutes. And you can do the whole thing on your phone right now after you finish listening to Torrey's show. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance and buy the peace of mind that, God forbid, something happens to you, your family will be taken care of. You've worked with Beyonce? Uh, very sparingly. Very sparingly. I've, in, I've, in your small amount of experience, though, with her, what have you seen that makes her so great? Uh, just an incredible artist that knows how to do everything. I mean, I don't know what other way to put it. I just, just such an amazing talent, such an amazing voice. Um, somebody that really knows their craft. And, and I mean, just from top to bottom is just an amazing, amazing, we're not going to see another one of the, it's like, you know, you're never going to see another Michael Jackson or another Prince. They just don't exist. And I don't think we're ever going to see another Beyonce. I don't, I don't know if that thing can really exist in that way. She's an anomaly. She is just extremely special. I don't know if that is answering the question about like technically, um, but it's just, it's an amazing, you're watching an amazing singer on, on an amazing run. We know that that's not normal. She, she is, and you know, 
to really get up there and to sing and to dance and to have wardrobe changes and to really like, you know, not to name other, but there are people that have done the dancing wardrobe change present you with a show, but they may not be singing for real. She's really up there singing. And I mean, that's, that's amazing to me that to have that level of um, just talent is, is you, you don't see that every day. Okay. Have you worked with Rihanna more? Um, Re is, I think Re is the thing about connecting. Rihanna really connects with her audience and people feel like, I don't know, like, like that's my sister or people feel like, like I really relate to her or that's my home girl. Or I think I get that vibe from the audience when, you know, she's selecting songs and, um, what she chooses to do musically. I think people are way more into her because of uh, that feeling of like, this is like my almost like, I don't want to say girl next door. I want to say like best friend sort of feeling. I, I feel like Rihanna is like the most popular girl in school. Right. And right. I can't touch her. I can't talk to her. There's that Instagram meme. It's ugly until Rihanna decides it's not. And it's just like, she I think has she, that she magic connects. touch, yeah. and you don't, and you is the rest of the planet. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think it's necessarily like a thing where it's supposed to take away from who you are. I think she's so down to earth that I feel like maybe it's just something that that people are like, well, I connect with what she connects with, you know. And I, I don't think it gives the vibe of like uh, distant. I think it's the exact opposite. I think it attracts people and says this is this is relatable to me. This is something that I like. She seems like someone that you already know or if you don't know you you want to know like this is the cool person well you know i first became aware of you as many people did because jay-z shouted you out over and over and over in the little ad libs Mm -hmm. um and his ad libs are kind of a thing that we all sort of pay attention to and he he doesn't go all the way out, doesn't tell you the whole thing, but he'll give you a little blip and you're like, did he say this is the second take of this whole record or, like, or stuff like that? And and those things are really, he's not like planning to say stuff. He's just talking shit and you just grab it and put it on the record. It's just normal conversation. It's not <laughs> something that I'm moving around or saying, do this take is normal conversation. That's just him. You're, you're actually hearing him. That's, that's what he, you know, what he decided to say at that given moment. That's crazy. So I know I know that if we bring in one producer or another producer, the records will be different, probably, right? If, if the producers and the artists are fine with, you know, you, Just Blaze, do your thing, you, Premier, Timbaland, whoever, do your thing. If I have, if I have two different engineers, mm-hmm. will the record sound noticeably different as it would with two different producers or two different artists? It depends on on how far the producer is involved. So yes, you number one, you will get a different sound um, from different engineers. Every engineer works differently, so the record will sound completely different depending on who is mixing the record. Uh, but it's also the input of the producer. The producer is there as well. The engineer is an extension of what the producer wants um, the song to sound like. So in in actuality, in the hierarchy of what's going on, who has final say in the studio, the producer, if I'm working with Just Blaze and and me and Just have a difference of opinion on the way something's supposed to sound, then Just wins out. You know, he'll he'll listen to me and and people will hire you for your, it's it's sort of like your barber relationship. Um, You know, you go to the barber because you think he's a really good barber, but then you give him instruction on how you want your hair cut. And you'll sit there until it is the way that you like it and you hire him for the expertise of being able to do what you like, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if you, you know, if you sit there and you were like, hey, put a bunch of like lines through my head and the barber's like, that's not going to really look good. And you go, no, that's the way I want my hair to look. Then it's his, he's got to sit there and do that or else he's got to say, okay, well then you got to find another barber because I just don't do that. (laughs) I I mean, it, it was my, uh, understanding that the engineer was a little bit more of like a scientist and the producer was a little bit more like an artist. Is that incorrect? That's incorrect because there's art involved in science as well. Um, So the reason people say scientists is because you're the person that understands equipment and you understand the technical aspect of being in the studio. And for years that was physical equipment and that has transferred now into understanding that version of itself inside of the computer, which are plugins from all these various companies, but it's also understanding how to deliver a record. That's the, that's the science part. When I say deliver, I mean, what formats, um, 
you know, if you're doing uh, 44, you know, uh, the, the regular CD is 44K 16-bit. And for not to get too technical, but that's the, uh, the sample rate and then the bit depth of the way a normal CD was delivered. But then now we have really higher, you know, recording possibilities. And also we're not trapped into printing onto a CD anymore. I don't think anybody's sitting saying, oh, I got to make this for a CD. We're doing it, you know, for streaming. We, we have wave files now. Um, we we're also in surround sound and things of that nature. That's the technical aspect. But there's also an art to it. There's an art to the way that you make a record sound. You talked about visualizing records before you sample them. Oh, absolutely. So what, what, what does that mean? What is that technique? Um, the, the way you visualize it for me is, is to say, okay, if I look at music, uh, the way I look at music is like up and down and around me. So like the bass is at my feet. Um, and then all the way to the mid range is like in my gut. Um, and then the highs are like above my head or around surrounding around my head. And that's, that's the way I sort of visualize it that way, um, in terms of frequency, but then it's also visualization in terms of colors. You can, there's some people that see music in terms of color, and all that is, is is saying you're associating a color with a mood and saying, oh, well, this is blue, but what version of blue is this? There's a whole lot of blues. Um, there's what version of red is this? Uh, if I'm doing a reggae song, what what version of, of gold and green am I throwing in to make that, you know, that, that, that yellow, you know, or gold, green, red flag fly? Um, it just depends. I see it in colors uh, sometimes too, as well. But the the visualization is there when music is something where a word may not be sufficient to describe what it is, because we're dealing with something that is above words. We're dealing with vibration. The words are just there for a metaphysical purpose to describe something. At at some point. Somebody looked at this thing that's flying around and said, we're going to call that a bird so that we can have this common word to describe that thing, right? That's the metaphysical aspect of it. We just decided to call it a bird. There may be a million things that we could have called that thing, but that's what we settled on. And I'm saying that to say that there are things in music that are beyond words. It's about feeling, and we may not have the proper verbiage to describe that feeling. One of the hardest things as an engineer is to take someone's regular verbiage when they say, oh, it's not warm enough. Well, what does that mean? You have to translate that or somebody, you know, doesn't have the exact word to describe what they mean. It's your job to, to translate um, those loose descriptions into a feeling. So that's I mean, that's a big part of your job of listening to somebody talk relatively awkwardly about something they don't entirely understand. Well, I don't, it, they can completely understand it, but there could be no word for it. And that's, sure. that's that's what I mean by saying that there's vibrations that are above words. So yeah, so 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 this is this is at the core of your professional life of having a postlingual conversation, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you only can use words to communicate those things. So how do you communicate with people uh, in a space around things that are we don't have words to describe where we want to go, but I have to tell you how to get there. Right, and that that's that's part of your job. But there's a lot of other things. There are cues. There's body language. There's um, the emotion of when you're 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 turning a knob and you hit that frequency and the person's like woo and it's just you know like that wasn't necessarily a word but we just we, you just told me that that's it just by the move just by the way that you reacted to what I'm doing there's a lot of things like that um, and then also taking those words and over experience kind of understanding what people mean when they say these regular words or saying okay well it's not this enough or not that enough. Then through your experience, you're, you're like, OK, well, he's really telling me that it's not, you know, it's not really bumping at this like 60 hertz. So I need to turn that up. And, th- and that's my job is to take layman's terms and to turn it into a technical thing. So there's there, there's a lot of communication that's nonverbal. A lot of it. And that's interesting. I think a lot of us don't think enough about that, about really especially as men reading the nonverbal cues that we're getting from the people around us oh absolutely you, you know there's plenty of times when um you know you play songs for people and you know people want to tell you that it's not really good and they don't have the way of politely saying that so it's just like they start describing other things well i like the if if you play a song for you won't have to ask them do they think it's good they're going to tell you that it's <laughs> incredible 
that you know when when that song hits them they're going to be like oh what is this can you play that again this is incredible or if you transfer the emotion correctly if you see someone like you're trying to get someone to understand like the pain of a breakup and that that Sade song is going to make you cringe in a certain way that Mary J Blige song is going to make you cringe in a certain cuz you felt that pain so the person won't won't have to tell you that they really you know like what about it that they don't like or like they just like or like I, this song resonates with me and you'll you'll see it instantly you know i saw an interesting i got an interesting example of how the tiniest things can make the difference between a record you love and a record you don't love um with the life of pablo where kanye was tinkering with the songs after they were released and uh, Fade in particular was is a basically a house music song. I don't generally like house music, but in the first iteration of it, hold on, you don't like house music? In general, in general, no. I think I want to bring you. I want to bring you to New Jersey because what I think that you think is house music may be a certain brand of house music that you don't like. But if you come to New Jersey and we play you the soul that's in our house music, I think you'll like it. I, I'm I'm sure I would. I'm sure I would. I mean, I you know I, I'm not dissing the entire genre. I'm sure that I would agree on the classics, and I love those. But as you go deeper into the genre, I'm generally like this is not this is not my aesthetic generally. Okay. But fade in particular is a house music song that I loved the first iteration of it, and partly because early on in the song it built up to this big beat drop. And in the drop was really big, and I loved that moment. And in subsequent iterations of the song, he sort of scrubbed that down so there wasn't the same uh, buildup of tension and release in that particular moment of the song. And I was like, I don't really like the song so much anymore. And it felt, you know, you know how you, you get the album and you have your five or six or whatever songs that you're on rotation because you love those. You don't usually love every song. And that was in my initial rotation and it fell out because I'm like, I don't like it anymore. And it just, just the tiniest little things can make the difference between us loving a record and not. Oh, absolutely. The mix can make a difference. The mastering can make a difference. Arrangement is a really big thing. Um there's so many factors that go into why you like or dislike a certain song. Again, that's why I said it's like, it's not this easy, just formula in a bottle thing, but we do analyze some of the things that are in a lot of the records that people do like. So it's, it, it, there's so many different factors that go into why something is a hit and, and you just hit it. It's like, it could be the smallest thing and, and same song. You're listening to the same song, but this new arrangement for you made you not like the song or the changes in the mix or something like that. Um, and it's, it's just an example of how each of the pieces fit together to make something the way it is. I don't, you know, was the, was the first Wu-Tang album supposed to be perfectly mixed? I don't know. It's supposed to sound like it came off of like, you know, I'm talking about the original version before they went, I felt the same way. Like when they went back and remixed it and I was like, this kind of takes away from the draw of what, I liked about the first thing, not to say I love that album and I still love it to this day, but there was a raw album that came out first that just has that grit and that grime. And it's like, what does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, 
I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. That's what Wu Tang is. And that's what they were, that's the tradition of, of who they are. And that's why I love that album. It's supposed to be that way. Go Go Music that comes from that live experience is, is in my opinion, supposed to be directly from the PA that night of the Go-Go experience, not necessarily like taking that recording into a studio and perfecting and cleaning up. Cleaning up may take away in terms of certain things. I like to listen to my Go-Go music off the tape from the live performance. So you're a teacher. I want to talk about advice or lessons that you want to send out to various groups of people who you are you are in touch with creatively professionally um for aspiring mcs what do you want them to know uh, aspiring mcs i would say to them just write who you are and don't regurgitate somebody else um that's the main thing like write who you are i, I want to know who you are and not necessarily i mean there's different levels right we, we all come into whatever we do i don't care if you're a writer a rapper a painter or whatever your very first entrance into to this is going to be imitation you're going to see someone that you really like something said or you read something or you saw something or you heard something and you go okay i love that i want to do that that's, that was the initial thing. And that person, you're imitating them at a certain point because that's what you look at as being great. But then you're going to get to a point where you're trying to get past the imitation and you're trying to get to a, a point where, where you're pulling yourself out. So you're inspired to do something new based off of saying, okay, the, here's all the things that came before me. Here's how I can be different and here's how I can still be me. That's really what the what the point is, is be yourself, but bring something different to the table. What are you unique at? What makes you great versus you regret? Like, like there's guys out there that, uh, you know, can go and like play whatever, I, you know, any any type of like jazz standard. And they're like, oh, I can do the solo from Coltrane this and that. And it's like, so what? Like, that's not you. Where Where are you in this? And I'm saying that to MCs, you know, like, where are you? Where's your voice? What about okay? What about for master MCs? You don't. You may not want to criticize them to their face, but anonymously. What do you mean in terms of what do I want to see from master MCs? Yeah, yeah. What do you want to see master MCs do more of and do better? Hmm. I mean, for me to call them a master, I think they would have done really great stuff. I mean, it just depends on it. Just depends on who that person is. You have to go with a case by case basis. Like, take a master MC, let's say Andre three thousand. The only thing I would say was give. I would love to hear more work. I would love for you to fall back in love with this thing and give me the work because that thing that you do drives me because I can't do it, and you're a master at it, and it's a great example. So I would just love to hear more stuff. But I also understand the thing of I'm falling back because I may not be in love with this thing the same way. Um, a most deaf. I would. I, I just. I just love to hear him rhyme. Um, and they give me for me to give them the title of master. They've already shown to me, you know, all the things that I love inside of an MC. So I don't know if it's necessarily like what would I like to see from them. I just would like to see the culture as itself just follow the path of maturity that we're on. And I think I think we are doing that with a, you know, with a four 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 things of that nature, um, where you can just say, okay, now I can I can start to see this in the same realm and it's not just a kid's music and we can have the same depth in story and in storytelling and in just life and describing life that's in blues and jazz and country music and you know country music has really good stories um i just i, I like that we're going to that point of not just being um just just a youth culture no that's that's super important and 444 is definitely a step toward a mature a super mature wing of hip-hop talking about your marriage talking about your kids talking about your legacy and your will and what happens after you're gone and uh i i loved it for all those sort of things and the confessional aspects and um it, it, there quite often seems there's not enough out there for 
mature hip hop fans and that was a vision of like yes that. I think there is I think people it's just not promoted as much um because of the paradigm that we're in right now and I, this is another thing I tell my students all the time in in being an instructor I have to understand the things that worked for me and my generation and why they worked but then I don't think people my age also understand how hard it is to get above the noise of what goes on right now when everyone can go out go to Guitar Center or to your favorite place, spend 300 bucks, buy a system, and you have a bunch of people that are doing music that shouldn't be doing music. And they're creating a noise floor that is very high, meaning there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of songs that are being created every day and everybody's uploading them to SoundCloud and everybody's pushing them to other people's emails that they want to hear. So the really good people get lost in the sauce and it's hard for them to get above the noise. Whereas before... There wasn't that, and the whole purpose was, okay, let me go find the record label that, you know, once you got to that A&R, they automatically brought you above the noise. And it's like, it's a trade-off. The thing that we love about the independence and that you can put out records on your own and do all of that, there's also, you know, the other side of it where they have to get above the noise. So, you know, it's like almost like a double-edged sword. It's the gift and the curse at the same time. What is your superpower? Uh, honesty. I think I'm I think I'm Hank McCoy. I think I'm the beast um, in terms of exactly who he is to the X-Men. You know, the very technical guy, he's always in there designing things and making things that help. You know, he designed the airplane, he designs the suits, he designs the gadgets, uh, but he also goes out and fights. So it's not somebody that's just like talking about it. You know, James uh, James Bond has that same guy, but he never goes out and fights with James Bond. He just makes all the stuff and gives it to him, whereas the beast... Um, Hank McCoy actually does the same thing and then actually goes out and fights. And then he's also in Congress fighting for mutant rights. Tell me about the Sleeping Giants, the STEM project that you're working on. Oh, it's a really big thing that I'm that I'm loving, man. It's, it's really answering this question that we know, but I don't think anybody has gone the specific route of getting the backup research information to, to back up exactly what we're saying. And, and, and what I'm saying is this. Everything has been engineered. And we have a generation of literal children are being raised on uh, iPads and, you know, phones and all of this technical stuff that they don't realize their engineering power. So in us trying to push STEM, um, and for those that don't know, science, technology, engineering, math, and then we've also adapted that to, to say STEAM, where we're adding that A in there for arts, where you're learning through arts as well. But Sleeping Giants is saying that there is a whole community out here that are trying to make songs or trying to be photographers or trying to do all of this stuff that requires them to have this technical interaction. And 90% of you guys are not going to make it. It's just like the NBA. You're not going to become the, the, the new big, you know, whatever in music, but understand that you are developing skills that will allow you to be an engineer. You're just not exposed to where those jobs are. And then those jobs may not know that you exist. So my point is to do this research. We have all of the numbers of the disparity. We, we see where the, the in, from, from income to access to all of these other things, we see the numbers in terms of what's wrong. But pe I feel like we as a community just keep going, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. We, we're beautiful at describing the problem. The Sleeping Giants is an attempt to actually solve the problem, is to say, okay, let's fix this disconnect. And let's get in here and show exactly where engineering is involved in all of these things. And, and I feel like music is one of the biggest ways of drawing people in because it's a cool thing. And it's like something that um, people already want to be associated with. So let me show you all these other jobs. And then here's where we can fix the problem. And that's what Sleeping Giants is about. It's about actually doing the research. Can the can we make the STEM jobs and the potential in STEM feel as sexy as more the more artistic and that's of that's the whole point yes we absolutely can by showing the output of what can happen or what it means to design your own thing and that's that's the whole point is to make it feel cool I, you know or to use your word sexy or attractive whatever it is um and to pull those kids in because a lot of the times you you're going to that's the reason why people want to be involved in the entertainment business, even rich people where you have like athletes that are like, oh, I want to be involved in this. I don't even mean just like rapping, but like you have 
rich people that start record labels. And I'm like, why would you, what? You're already, re- like, you you got to really love this thing if you're just looking at it because it's the sexiness of it. It's the being in front of people. It's the power of that, which you, what we started off this thing saying, that someone's going to repeat my words. How powerful that is. Someone's going to repeat my words. You know, that thing is very sexy, but it's also like, the excitement that I feel when I, I watch someone code or, or say, here's a problem and I need a fix to this. And there's a new plugin that's created because of a problem that I had. And then someone's like, here, here's the solution to your problem. That's really what engineers perk up about. When there's a problem, we go, oh, I can fix that. You know, all the way from the simplest concept of I'm on this side of the river and I need to get to that side and we have to walk two miles to walk around. Why don't we create this thing called a bridge? And that solved the problem. And now look how society or just whatever, whatever situation you're thinking of that, along with also um, trying to throw in, you know, a little bit of of the moral aspect of understanding what you are creating and how that's being used by people. So when you have all of those aspects, it's sort of the dream is, is, is what we just saw in Black Panther, the way that Wakanda is technically more advanced than anyone but still in tune with nature, still giving um, homage to the ancestors. Thanks to Young Guru for the time, and thanks to you for listening. This show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and the Young Turks with help from William Jolly, Jason Wallace, Candid Nicole, and our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man can't shut us down. 